Recovery Elevator, episode 432. The wonderful part about that experience is that I knew without a doubt that my problem with alcohol was my problem. It was nobody else's fault. And that was so necessary to to really kind of peel back that last piece of surrender. Uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix four. down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Three, four. Wiki, wiki. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I am so excited to be here with you today. Listeners, on today's episode, we have Julie. She's 49 years old from Grand Junction, Colorado, and took her last drink on February 6th, 2022. Great job, Julie. Cafe I remembers we have added a fitness class on Sundays at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. Thank you, Paul L. Also, thank you to all of our Cafe Ari chat hosts. You guys do such a great job. And everybody, today is going to be a good day. In fact, today has already been a good day. And before we get any further in this episode, let's hear from Exact Nature. Exact Nature was founded by a father and son in addiction recovery. Exact Nature's all-natural CBD products are specially formulated to help you face the exceptional challenges of recovery, and we are so grateful to have them as our sponsor. Beat your cravings with their Detox Blend. If you are interested in learning more, head on over to exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com. Okay, let's get started. I think for most of the 20th century and well into the 2000s, there was a pushed narrative that said a daily drink or two is good for you, that a glass or two of wine can help cardiovascular health, lower your risk of cancer, and make you better looking. To be fair, there was a time, the dark ages were included in this, where drinking a fermented beverage was safer than consuming the town's water due to cholera and other diseases. However, thankfully, the latest cholera outbreak here in America was over 100 years ago. Yet the idea or concept that alcohol is good for you is still in popular circulation, but a new narrative is coming out. I recently came across an article on Health Day titled, Drinking Alcohol Brings No Health Benefits. There's a link to the article in the show notes. Thank you, Robin. Now, I won't read the whole article, but here are the first couple paragraphs. It came out on March 31st, 2023. It says, Dozens of studies have purportedly shown that a daily glass of wine or mug of beer could reduce your risk of heart disease and death. But these studies are flawed, a new evidence review asserts, and the potential health benefits of moderate alcohol use vanish when those flaws and biases are taken into account. At best, a drink or two each day has no effect, good or ill, on a person's health, while three or more drinks daily significantly increases the risk of an early death, researchers report. Now, that's all I want to read from the article. So only in the last couple of years have they come across more and more articles saying that no amount of alcohol is good for you. Opposed to the studies that we have all seen stating that alcohol is linked to longevity, health, and abundance. It turns out all of that hoopla falls under the bullshit level 10 category. My personal experience with alcohol mirrors the studies representing that alcohol is shit or that it's just not good for you. The number six overall podcast on iTunes, the Andrew Huberman podcast, did a two-hour episode in August 2022 about what alcohol does to your brain and body. There's a link to this episode in the show notes if you want to listen. Thank you, Robin. It goes deep into the science of alcohol and how it affects your body and how the molecule ethanol can destroy your insides. To summarize Dr. Huberman's episode, he makes it very clear that no amount of alcohol is good for you. Now, the idea that alcohol is good for you is a myth that thankfully is slowly being debunked. Now, in my lifetime, I have read several articles saying that alcohol, yes, is good for you, but it has come to light that many of these studies are funded by big alcohol or similar constituents. In episode 167, I covered how the NIAAA, this is the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, did a multi-year study showing that alcohol consumption is in fact good for you. 
It was later revealed that this study, which cost millions of taxpayer dollars, was funded by big alcohol. I was actually quite angry when I heard about that, because with the type of reach that the NIAA has, someone who is struggling with alcohol is going to come across that study and tell themselves, see, I knew it, it's good for me, and then they're going to start drinking again. Okay, so alcohol is not good for you. Not a single glass of wine or an 18-pack of Keystone Light. None of it. So then, what is good for you? And let's link this to recovery. I'd like to use the remaining part of this intro to talk about what is good for you, opposed to what is bad for you. Because eventually in the healing process, one must place the majority of their mental and physical energies in the opportunity that sobriety presents. So here are some things that I feel are good for you. First off, let's talk hydration. Water is good for you. Shoot for a gallon a day. Silent time alone with a pen and paper is good for you. Listening to your favorite album uninterrupted is good for you. Learning the constellations on a clear starry night is good for you. Eating more vibrant fruits and vegetables is good for you. Learning a new hobby, skill, language, or art is good for you. Singing in the car or shower is great for you. Learning the bird calls or the birds in your neighborhood is good for you. I recommend the Merlin Bird ID app. Connecting with a friend is good for you. Reconnecting with an old friend is good for you. Connecting with a sober friend is good for you. Connecting with a sober group is good for you. A road trip to the nearest national park is good for you. Hello, summer. Taking your dog or someone else's dog for a walk is good for you. Volunteering your time for a greater cause than yourself is good for you. Putting your bare feet into the ocean, a river, or lake is good for you. Sobriety is good for you. Saw that one coming, huh? Discomfort is good for you. And I'm going to cover this more next week. Boredom is good for you. Sitting outside in the shade on a sunny day while reading a book is good for you. Making yourself a healthy, hearty meal is good for you. Giving your body, mind, and spirit the occasional rest is good for you. A nap is good for you. Going to an AA meeting or an online recovery chat is good for you. A glass of grape juice is good for you. The occasional maple donut is good for you. That one might be a stretch. Playing a musical instrument, regardless of your skill level, is good for you. Planting a tree is good for you and great for the future generations. Breaking a sweat under the hot sun is good for you. Adding locally sourced honey to your diet is good for you. Exercise is good for you. Reading the big book is good for you. You can start with the stories in the back. That's how I started. A hug from a friend, a family member, or a total stranger is good for you. Walking barefooted in the grass is good for you. Painting, drawing, or doing something artistic is good for you. Listening to an audiobook while walking on a nature trail is good for you. Brushing and flossing your teeth daily is good for you. That would be self-care. Fizzy water, soda water, bubbly water, mineral water is all good for you. Sitting below or near a waterfall at sunset is good for you. Hanging around people who have the same sobriety goal as you is good for you. So yes, alcohol, it's not good for you. But there's so many other things that will nourish and heal you and that are good for your soul. Now, as I wrote that list, listeners, a recovery quote came to mind, which is, you're giving up one thing for everything. You're giving up alcohol, which turns out is not good for you anyways, for a life that contains the possibilities of nearly everything. Sobriety can be hard. And sometimes we need a sweeping statement like that to put it into perspective. You're giving up one thing for everything. And I know you guys can do it. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this intro. I had a good time putting it together as always. And next week, I'm going to talk about getting uncomfortable or the benefits of discomfort. Okay, and now let's hear from my favorite resource in recovery, Cafe RE, before we hear from Julie. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe RE almost immediately after I found it, and I was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me right away. One of the things I quickly realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in this community, people all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my journey especially when I came across bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. 
In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $24 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner if you request to be matched, you can attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 10% of monthly fees goes towards our service project, where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to meet you there. Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Julie. Julie, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing great, Chris. So good to, to be here and be talking with you. I'm pumped that you're here. Every once in a while, I run into someone that I meet through recovery and Julie and I met in person last year for the first time. And I think that's probably when I started poking like, Hey, Hey, you want to come on the show? So (laughs) yes, you did, but not too, not too much. (laughs) That slow, just slowly wear you down, but I don't think, I don't think I wear you down. I think, I hope you're excited to be here, but I'm excited you're here. So I can't wait to visit. Can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? Yes. My, um, my last drink was February 6th, 2022. So sobriety date, February 7th, 2022. Just over a year. Nice job. How does it feel? You know, it feels pretty amazing at times and surreal and, but sometimes it doesn't feel great, but I think that's, that's life. Yep. She's going to come at us whether we like it or not, but at least we have our wits about us for the most part. (laughs) Right. Before we get into your story, Julie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Uh, where you live, what you do for a living, family, uh, things like that? And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Yes, I, uh, well, I live on the Western slope of Colorado in Grand Junction, Colorado. And I am a nurse practitioner, and I'm excited to say I'm just next week going to be working at a an addiction center in Grand Junction. And let's see, family. I have two grown daughters, one who lives in Seattle, one in Chicago. I my parents are here in Grand Junction. My brother's here in Grand Junction. I'm currently single. And what do I like to do for fun? You know, I would say my number one uh, activity that I enjoy is yoga. And you can typically find me at the the hot yoga studio, uh, even when it's 100 degrees out, which is crazy. And um, I also have picked up playing the ukulele and really enjoy music. And I also play the flute. I love that. Not a big yoga guy, but I would kill for some hot yoga now as we have another blizzard rolling in today. But did you, did you, this is not, this is not a plug. Did you take the, uh, the ukulele course through RE or did you just pick it up on your own? I did. I, um, this year took the ukulele course and I actually won the ukulele through um like at the last class which was really exciting so yes i took that course and it was just amazing and i i really fell in love with the instrument and um i think the instructors just had a way about kind of uh describing how how music can can be a source of uh, comfort and joy and a way to relieve anxiety. And I just really enjoyed it. That's amazing. And I, I promise, Ari, that was not, not meant to be a plug, but I think that, I think that like, for me, the important takeaway from that is it sounds like you're embracing like some of that curiosity and like that kind of childlike, like, I want to try something new. Absolutely. And I think the really important piece to to how that came to be um, had to do with connection. And so that, uh, you know, I've tried to play the guitar in the past kind of on my own or um, just with a, a private instructor and, and never really felt that same 
uh, connection. So I think the group had a lot to do with that. Very cool. All right, Julie, I'm sure I'd be willing to bet we'll talk about connection again later in this. But to work up to that, let's do what we came here to do. Let's talk about your journey with alcohol. We'll start from the beginning. Uh, in your younger years, what role did alcohol play? And, and let's walk forward from that. All right. You know, I always said that uh, when I kind of got to the the point that I chose to to do the podcast, that I would use someone's plug from an earlier episode. And that was, I was kind of born into alcoholism. And, you know, as many, many of us, I think, experience, um, my, my parents were both alcoholics, very different journeys with alcoholism, but, uh, and lots of family members who have struggled with substance abuse. And, you know, I don't think we get to choose kind of how we come into this world. Uh, but for me, I came into it kind of with, with parents who were in a state of turmoil and, and they went through a lot of struggles kind of around the time that I was born and leading up to that. And as a result of that, my mom left the marriage uh, when I was two years old. And at the time, I, I had a, a brother who was five years older than me. Uh, and I had another brother who would have been three years older, but he died as an infant. Mm. And so, you know, so much of, of my life as a child was was kind of spent parenting and, you know, either parenting my dad um, because he was in a state of being intoxicated or, you know, he changed jobs a lot. So we moved a lot. By the time I was 12 years old, I had lived in 12 different places. And by the time I graduated high school, I had had gone to 13 different schools and in my, you know, it wasn't because of the military. It was just kind of, my dad was just kind of in a state of, of movement. So, you know, throughout my childhood, I, you know, experienced a lot of what, what you would call adverse childhood events. Uh, and my first interaction with alcohol happened when I was 12 except for a very brief, uh, my dad let me taste beer uh, when I was probably six or seven, you know, just kind of one of those, hey, come on up here and take a drink. So at age 12, my my mom had come back into my life when I was about 10. And at that point, she was sober. And I was visiting her and her and her friends were having a barbecue and Barbecues, of course, involve typically a lot of a lot of alcohol. And a group of friends um, and I decided it would just be a great idea just to go grab some some of the booze and take it down to the basement and, you know, just kind of do crazy stuff. And I was very impressionable and also desperately wanted to be accepted. And so, you know, although didn't quite understand what was going to happen, uh, decided, well, yes, I'm going to be in the popular group. I'm going to experience, you know, friends and fun. And so we we all hung out downstairs and kind of played spin the bottle or truth or dare, or a lot of a lot of those types of games, which happened uh, a lot in teen years. And we ended up drinking and I drank to the point where I passed out up in the the living room upstairs and and I'm not clear if people actually understood what was going on or if if the adults knew that I was you know completely wasted but but that was that was kind of the the first interaction and I remember you know thinking like wow this is this is pretty amazing and and it was just from from the get go you know i i drank and wanted more of the feeling that that it was bringing and so not understanding you know that that it would cause me to pass out i just kept drinking so that type of of drinking went on um throughout my teen years just intermittent episodes of 
of drinking to full intoxication to the point of of blackout or passing out. And and I kind of just assumed that that's what drinking was. You know, if we if we were going to try to sneak out of the house or get to a a party, usually it was with older kids and you know, I I was doing it with the intent to to fully, you know, tie one on. I'm curious, Julie, during those teen years, was there in between these episodes, were you, did you at, like actively crave it or did it, were you just like, oh, if, if it happens to be there, then I'm I'm going to participate and do it. Or, or was it something that you were like seeking and wanting? Hmm, that's a really good question. You know, I think what I was seeking and wanting was the acceptance. Hmm. And so that. This was all happening during the 80s. I'm I'm a Gen Xer and was definitely a, a kid who really didn't have parents that were that were responsible for me. I was, you know, from a very early age was always home alone. And so, you know, I I've often thought back to this time period because I've raised two daughters and and thought, where the heck were my parents at? And they just, it just, you know, it really is true. That was part of the the culture of parenting. And so what I really wanted was just to be a part of a group. And, you know, I found that, that I could be the life of the party, the, you know, super fun girl, the, I could drink guys under the table. There was, you know, kind of this reputation that went along with that. So it just became pretty quickly what I thought was the the way to to be. Yeah. It's not necessarily and maybe that's it can be a complex equation, but yeah, I feel you it's maybe not a desire to 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 get wasted, but I mean sometimes that might be the case, but yeah, that that approval Good observation that that approval is what you were seeking, and and it just so happened that alcohol was a vessel. Yeah, and you know the the interesting thing this ramped up really quickly, and by age almost fourteen, so in a two year time period, um, my mom had come back into my life, and a lot of things kind of started happening to the point that you know I was ditching school, I was you know, I was smoking, I was using marijuana, I was just getting into a lot of trouble and having behavioral issues. And my parents made the decision to send me to a Baptist girls home just outside of Shreveport. Really interesting, because in the mid 1980s, you know, I didn't realize and they didn't realize either uh that at this time they were they were sending me to to a cult and i ended up spending 18 months at this this home in louisiana that was surrounded by barbed wire fences and you know kind of everything that you would expect it was actually closed down by the fbi and but this was the first experience, you know, as as crazy as that sounds, this was my first experience at having family and friends and connection. Mm-hmm. And so although we were in a very negative environment, I found a way to to kind of, you know, stay out of trouble and, you know, find kind of my home and family. And I sang in a trio and we toured and and it was kind of an amazing experience. Fast forward, then coming back home, you know, I I had to to deal with a lot of kind of religious trauma that that had gone on through that experience, a lot of fear, and you know, within a year's time period, with with friends had kind of gone back to drinking alcohol, but only only binging kind of for the rest of my teen years. So there would it, there would just be episodes again where I would just binge drink to the point where I'd black out or or pass out and that continued to be the pattern. At age 18, I got pregnant 
And so somehow through all of this, I still was able to do incredibly well in school. I mean, for some reason, uh, that that part was not a problem for me. I was just kind of a smart, quick-witted kid. So I graduated early from high school. I ended up getting pregnant with my, at that time, high school sweetheart and got married shortly thereafter. So I was married at 19. And of course, during that time, quit drinking. So, uh, you know, that, that part of, of my, of my life, you know, was a little bit, I guess, unclear. Like I, I, I think I immediately just kind of fell into this behavior that I would be just a really good mom and that somehow I could, I could build the, the, the story, the kind of American dream story and just be different than, than I had been. And so I, I kind of moved more into, you know, trying to be the best mom that I could. I started going to community college, you know, but there were still episodes if there was alcohol around, you know, I would, I would end up drinking just to get drunk, but it was, it was probably further apart at this time. My husband at the time, he kind of started struggling a little bit with, with drugs and, and alcohol. And, and we, we just grew apart pretty quickly. Um, We divorced after three years and almost immediately I, I felt like, well, I, I need to be in a relationship. I need to continue to build this, this American dream. And, so I I met my my next husband and ended up getting pregnant again. So I we quickly, you know, within a year were married and and I was having my second daughter. And so this is around age 23. And and he was in kind of a better place. He had gone to college and um, had made the decision to go to the police academy, and I decided, okay, this is my opportunity now to to be a good person. And you know, so I dove headfirst into Christianity, and and really spent a lot of time and effort in in building my perfect life. And what I didn't realize is that for me, alcohol. Uh, really represented a way to, you know, I had such cognitive dissonance going on between what I felt inside, what my life experience had been, what my childhood experiences had been, and then, but what I wanted it to look like. And so alcohol for me was just a way to kind of let loose from that, that complete kind of two-faced person that I was. Yeah. I just like uh, a common, like a theme coming up is I think you're wanting uh, uh, so many things that, that we want, you know, our parents a lot of times fall short as a parent. I, I know that I, that I'm falling short, but sometimes, you know, being without your mom for a, a number of years when you're a child and then she comes back, you know, you talked about what drinking as a teenager was like, like looking for that acceptance and going through like, I don't want to just gloss over like the, the, the Baptist home slash cult again, like being able to find a, a sort of peace in that just because of that family element. And then with, uh, with both your, your, your kids' dads, like just wanting that, that family. I think that's what yes. so many of us want is just to, to belong. And I just, I, I hear that from you. And I th- think you're right that there's these phases where alcohol helps bring us into the fold and kind of it can facilitate that connection. I don't, I don't like not every time that we've used alcohol is terrible. I mean, sometimes it's we have, we have great times, but sometimes it's shit and we think that it's OK because because we're under the influence. But then I also think there gets to be a, a shift if we're not if we're not this these ideas of of the life that we want if they're not coming to fruition, that instead of alcohol, trying to help us, trying to help us create that is, is an escape from recognizing that my life isn't, it's supposed to be X, Y, and Z, and it's not. And that can create some anxiety or stress or, 
or unfulfillment and booze is a gateway to, to not have to feel that. Yeah, absolutely. And boy, that really just sums up that that became exactly what alcohol was. And, you know, as many people talk about, you know, there was kind of a shift probably around age 28 um, where alcohol, the way that it affected me really changed. So, you know, as as of course, time went on the frequency that I would binge drink, you know, became closer and closer together. Um, and, and the way that it affected me was, was not quite the same. Like it, you know, I definitely started having more blackouts and also experiencing just a lot of anger and kind of, um, blowups that would happen, during those experiences. Of course, I didn't remember them. I was just told about them. Mm-hmm. And and that, you know, for the next decade of drinking, that was really what I experienced. And so, so much guilt and shame. And, and at the same time, I'm, you know, building this perfect life. I went to college, ended up getting my nursing degree, and, you know, was still going to church every Sunday trying to you know, find that connection or acceptance and, and still raising my, my girls and, and at the same time, having really, really kind of hidden marital issues uh, that we were covering up and, or ignoring. And, you know, I, I used to, I pride myself in making statements like, you know, I, I forgave everything in my past. I don't have any problems with my past. You know, I I thought, I'm not sure how I overcame this, <laughs> but um, I'm I'm just perfectly fine. And um, and I really believed that for most of my adult life. So during this time period, my now ex-husband uh and and my oldest daughter which was not his his biologic daughter you know had a lot of problems and in, in interactions within the family and so you know not only was i trying to like manage this this you know kind of glass house i was i was also trying to be the mediator and protect her and and also somehow maintain my marriage and you know because I had to upkeep this this perfect image that that I that I had created and most of that just had to do with control just trying to be in complete control of of everything and you know that that makes complete sense at this point understanding PTSD and what that that really does so around age 40 is probably where i started really recognizing like you know something is is really wrong and and my drinking at that time was kind of switching more into daily drinking or at least five days a, a week I was drinking. And you know that that still wasn't day drinking unless it was on the weekend. Uh, and you could always justify day drinking, but yeah. but definitely really ramping up. I also at that time went back to graduate school, you know, and all of these things that that I did, to you know show success or to to really build success really were just to try to fill that hole and to prove to the world you know that I was stronger better somehow a more capable human than than probably inside I I felt like I was and so around around age 44 and that would have been 2016 my my daughters had both moved out of the house my oldest daughter had moved to seattle uh with her fiance and my youngest daughter was going to college uh in gunnison and my ex-husband and i we were really good at trying to maybe fix things by buying a new house or buying a new you know, something going on vacations, things like that. So we had just bought a brand new house and here we are empty nesters. 
Um, I was working in a job that I had a lot of freedom. And what that led to was just continuous drinking and having to really drink to, to be around my husband at all. We had no communication or no positive interactions. And so I, you know, but I still had a lot of shame around, around my drinking and worried about what he thought about that. So that led to, you know, hiding shooters in the toilet paper rolls and, you know, just having to get up early before he did to replace the the 18 pack that I had gone through or, you know, all of those different ways to try to, you know, make sure nobody else knew, but also make myself feel better. Gets to be Um, a lot of work, doesn't it? Oh my gosh, so much work. And at that time I read Annie Grace's book, This Naked Mind, which I think had just come out in 2016. It might've been 2015, but, and, and I was really good at, you know, doing cleanses or, or whole 30 or, you know, giving up alcohol for Lent or things like that to convince myself that, that I didn't have a problem with drinking. And so this was, was just another way I thought that, that I would do that. And that was the summer of 2016. I had at that point given up alcohol for 60 days, went right back into full heavy drinking once I was done reading that book. But that changed something in me that brought something up that, you know, I recognized, okay, I really do have a problem. And at some point I'm going to have to do something about it. In the fall of 2017, I had separated from my from my husband at the time. And, and I was basically in my bedroom 24 seven drinking, binge watching television, just completely isolated from the world. Um, Somehow still keeping a job. I don't know how that was happening, especially because at that time I was in the surgery world. So scary Mm -hmm. to think of, of what was happening, but I I ended up, I was supposed to go to a conference in Las Vegas. And I thought, if I go to this conference, I'm I'm definitely gonna die. I'm this is not gonna be something that I'll survive, or I'm gonna get, you know, kidnapped or or raped, or the, you know, I just had this impending doom. And so I called at that point um a rehab that was in Estes Park called Harmony and um had things set up to to go to rehab on that that Thursday of that week. And on the Wednesday before that, I decided that I would go hit an AA meeting and see if that worked. And and it did. And so I was sober at that point for three and a half years. Oh wow. Yeah. It was it was one of those situations that, you know, I I definitely had really good sobriety. Um, and, but I, I kind of stopped doing any of the work. What was it in that three and a half years that, that, that you think, I don't know if I like the word, the term successful because of the implication on the other side, but you know, like what allowed you to, to maintain sobriety and to, to kind of be working towards the life you wanted in that three and a half years? You know, I think um, a lot of it was was my personality, just kind of this perseverance and tenacity. The first year I did attend AA and and kind of began some of the the step work, and you know, and so I was definitely scratching the surface at what was going to be necessary to to maintain sobriety, but underneath that. Um, I, I still kind of had this still small, quiet voice that said, well, you know, probably the level of my drinking was probably not my fault. It was probably my ex-husband's fault or, you know, situational. And so I think what, what ended up happening is I had kind of a, a geographic relocation that occurred and, and so that that voice just got louder and louder uh, to the point that, you know, it started saying, you know, you're you're a different person. It's been years. You're not in that same situation anymore. You could probably just be a normal drinker. And turns out that was not the case. 
that's fun when our brain <laughs> plays them little tricks on us, a little justification. Oh, it wasn't you. It was them. It's right. <laughs> so three and a half years. Uh, so that would be what, like 2020 ish, 2021, like 2021. Yeah. March of, of 2021. And you know, it, it was, I can't even really say exactly. There was no premeditated, well, I'm going out to relapse because my brain had convinced me. I mean, there's no such thing as relapse because I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't have a substance abuse problem. And, and so for, for a few months, maybe three or four months, um, I could have one drink. Now, the interesting part about that and, and what I now understand so well is that I could have one drink, but then that turned on the obsession that immediately, you know, the way that I was interacting in social situations, the, you know, all I could think about was that I really wanted more to drink, you know, but I would, I would fight that, you know, because I was going to prove to myself that, that I could, could do this. I think that's such an important point, Julie, because on paper, there's, I think there's a lot of times for me too, where it was very seldom, was it one drink for me? It was like a sixer, but like what's what's this acceptable amount? This is all right. It's Friday night. We're gonna be out to dinner and hang out with our friends and play games or whatever. So six pack, I can do that. And on paper, yeah, that's not that's, that's once a week. Yeah. Maybe that's not terrible. But you you make such an important point that internally, like that that obsession part, like I might only have a six pack or or a few drinks or you know you said you just had one. But like thinking about how fast do I drink it? Do I try to, do I chug it to try to like fire for effect or do I milk it to make it last? Do I, you know, like what's, am I drinking, like holding it? Like, am I drinking this like a normal person that like all those thoughts that clatter? It's not, I don't think it's whatever term people want to use alcoholics, substance use disorder, just whatever, like whatever that let's say relationship like our relationship with alcohol isn't determined necessarily by quantity, but yeah, but what's happening if, yeah, I can just have one, but if you're squeezing the shit out of it and you're like staring at it and like, say like licking the glass clean when you're done. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. It's technically it's one, but yeah, absolutely. And you know, that that's the part of it for me anyway, again, I was, all I was interested in was creating this, this kind of outward appearance that other people could believe. And, you know, the, the unfortunate part about that is that that's what drove and led me back to isolation because it always came back to isolation, you know, because if I'm alone, I can do anything I want and drink as much as I want. And so within a very short time period, you know, it was just back to binge drinking episodes and uh, intentional binge drinking. I mean, I definitely played the moderation game, kind of joined the the wine, uh, the monthly wine club, got my four bottles of wine, drank them in a weekend. (laughs) So, you know, those types of things um, occurred. But what what really was happening i was starting you know is back to researching even though i'm a medical provider i was i was researching you know things ways to quit drinking and you know in my head i thought well i can't go back to aa and i don't want to I had a lot of ego and pride around that and and just being in a small community and being known kind of in the the medical field. And so there were just all of these pieces that, you know, I I knew that I was turning another corner and what what was that going to look like? And um, in November of 21, my grandson was born and I was I was in Seattle um, and I was there for three weeks 
And I can remember my son-in-law one night, you know, just going to the freezer to grab the, the gin bottle and it was gone. And he was like, huh, why is this bottle of gin gone? Like, wow, didn't we just get this yesterday? And, you know, my response was, well, I'm on vacation. And, you know, but but I knew I'm like, okay, these these are not normal behaviors again. And so that that's where, you know, it was a, a very short time period to kind of be processing that. But the wonderful part about that experience is that I knew without a doubt that my problem with alcohol was my problem. It was nobody else's fault. And that was so necessary to, to really kind of peel back that last piece of surrender because what, what giving up quote unquote alcohol or that surrender piece, what that gave to me was the, for the first time, 100% freedom. And so, you know, fast forward a little bit, February of 22 had gone out to see my grandson again. And, you know, I didn't want to drink because I remember that comment that my son-in-law had made. So kind of made it through that, that weekend and my flight got canceled and uh, they paid for me to go to a, a hotel. And I proceeded to go to the hotel bar and order the double wine glasses. They were 22 ounces and I'd order two at a time because I had a friend. <laughs> <laughs> it was back in the hotel room and, and that was it. That was the last night. And, you know, so just horribly miserable the next morning, almost missed my plane again, sitting in the airport. There was just this, I guess, kind of feeling of resignation that like, okay, that's it. And the next day I Googled podcasts and, and found recovery elevator. And that, you know, it was just incredible just to hear the first episode I ever heard was Paul's episode on the booze cruise that happened oh, on the Costa Rica trip, the Costa Rica trip in 21. And I was just cracking up, you know, the whole time I was getting ready for work and I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is, maybe this is a, a way to, to kind of connect and, and, and start this journey again. So yeah, 17 days after that, I, I did end up going back to AA. Um, and really I just went to one meeting, found an incredible sponsor, uh, and started working the 12 steps again. And so with that and kind of attending a lot of online meetings, I'm so thankful there's online meetings and, the ability to have connection, but not, you know, maybe feel some of the, the pressure that that happens in person, especially when you have a professional job. And so that's just been so I kind of have this nice little personally made kit uh, that that has has worked over the last uh, year plus. You know, I love that. I love the piece that you said about like that kind of like that ultimate accountability, being able to kind of surrender that surrender the that blame and just kind of acknowledge this is me, this is my thing, and this is something that that I need to handle. And then, you know, taking those those next steps. That's I think that's really, really important. And uh, I, I believe you even use the word freedom, which is it's hard to imagine that when we're still drinking and we're still in it, that there could be this sense of freedom that comes from sobriety and recovery. But, you know, when we have those, when we, when we hit those key moments where, where the light switches are, are being flicked on, it really, I mean, you can almost physically feel this weight, this burden coming off because we, we just accepting our own stuff for what it is and being able to like, to look at it and face it as a path forward rather than I think what we do when we're in addiction is we're, like, we're still looking at it, but we're hiding from it and we're sulking and, and it's this huge burden, but there's, 
there's a lot of power in that in that acknowledgement and that's that's so cool that you had that that you had that moment and and with what you're doing now yeah thanks chris that is so true and i agree with you i don't think that it's something that that makes sense kind of in the the depths of whatever you're experiencing and you know the the part that that was so shocking i guess about kind of coming to that understanding was that what i desperately wanted and and i guess what i came to was that i i wanted those two people the one i was trying to create and be and and the one that was in my head or or whatever i wanted those two people to to become one person i you know i i really wanted to be the same person that i was with everybody i wanted genuine relationships i wanted to understand what it could mean to to have love for myself to be able to to have experiences that 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 were real and and i knew that 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 was not going to happen because any time that i would start to maybe experience that and then have an episode um with alcohol i was right back to square one every single time mm. and you know just in and not only square one but even deeper kind of this deeper dark pit of of just desperation and uh and so I, you know, the first time that I had been sober, I, I knew that it was possible, even though I hadn't, you know, kind of moved very far in that self-learning experience, I knew it was possible for it to be something different. Yeah. Uh, before we get, we've got a couple minutes before we jump into rapid fire, but um, I was just wondering if you could share like in the last uh, in the last year and change, what have been some practices that have have really moved the needle for you and 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 helped helped you along the way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I so initially I listened to some form of podcast. I mean, a lot of re went back to the beginning and listened to all of it, but but listened to a lot of different podcasts every single morning and. So, you know, I kind of thought of it as a way of just retraining my brain and with different stories, different content. So that was really important for me. I talked a lot about my yoga practice. I think that that yoga and meditation have have done more for me than than anything in my life. Um and that that isn't an easy thing to do. I, you know, it's hard to quiet the mind, but you really can over time start to recognize that the thoughts that you have in your brain are not you. And that didn't make sense to me for a very long time. Um, but through meditation, you know, I've started to recognize that. And then, you know, I think the other really important pieces are connecting with people, whether that's connections online, in-person connections. Part of the, the thing that continues to be an issue is, you know, living in Grand Junction, there's not a ton of in-person things going on other than AA. So, you know, it's been important to just just find, you know, whether that's through other programs like Recovery Dharma uh, or other types of of recovery programs, um, and then of course in person meetups and and travel, um, I think that's been important too. Nice, and uh, you know, I think we I think we alluded to it at the beginning, Julie, that the like the the theme or a common theme that that we predicted we'd come back to is a connection in some way, shape or form. And just finding that, you know, whether it's traditional 12 step, you know, you give a couple other things, you know, like recovery Dharma, there's, there's lots of community out there just and having an open mind and trying out to find the things that will work for you. All right, sister, we have arrived at the rapid fire round. Are you ready? 
I am ready. Yes. Okay. All right. She says it with confidence. I'm believing in this. In 30 to 60 seconds, uh, what is your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? Not having fun. Definitely. Yeah. Common response. A lot of us think we're just going to be bored and lonely. Uh, but contrary to that, what is a positive that you didn't expect in a life without alcohol? Well, I kind of talked about it earlier. I think that uh, just having connection to to myself and being able to recognize my feelings and, you know, that, that you can continue to, to grow no matter what age you are. Yeah, I love that. What is your go-to alcohol-free drink? Well, I have to say, um, you know, for your benefit, that it's LaCroix. Yeah. However, <laughs> I would say any sparkling water. I'm definitely on the sparkling water train. So, uh, same. My wife and I are youth group leaders. Quick derailment. <laughs> and uh, I was, we're youth group leaders. So we hang out with kids sometimes. And we were with uh, a couple kids last night up at church. And uh, this young man, I had like half a case of Waterloo. I knew we were going to be up there for a while. So I just grabbed like half a case of Waterloo from the garage. And he's like, Mr. Owen, what is this? And he took it and he's like, oh, and like, he's like, this is good. And I was like, right. <laughs> and when we left, I said, dude, do you want to take some to go? He's like, do you mind? And I'm like, I have cases at home. Like, go for it. It's so good. It's, it's just so good. Okay. Sorry. These are your rapid fire questions. Uh, not, <laughs> not my weird stories. What is your plan in sobriety moving forward? Uh, plan in sobriety uh, moving forward is to continue kind of every day putting sobriety first. Uh, that that's a key factor in in remaining sober. I don't ever want to allow my brain to start thinking that that possibly drinking could become an option. So that's my plan. That's good. Stay teachable. Uh, what is your favorite resource in recovery? It can be a book, an app, uh, in-person or online community, anything. Uh, you know, my favorite resource uh, is the big book. Uh, if you kind of peel away all of the politics around AA and the fact that it was started by, you know, white privileged men in the 1930s, it is some brilliant writing and the the simplicity of of the steps truly are applicable to everything in life. Yeah, it's a great resource. Uh, and last, Julie, but certainly not least, can you give listeners your favorite? You might need to ditch the booze if line. You might need to ditch the booze if you have drank everything in your house and you really feel like you need a cigarette. So you take your dog out for a walk to search for butts so you can smoke them. <laughs> it might be time. Oh my goodness. That seems like uh, something I would have done in high school. If I ever wanted to try a cigarette, like look at the ashtray. It looks like a clean person smoked that. Oh, Julie, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great to spend this time with you. And I'm just, uh, I'm grateful for you and your story. And I'm just really excited to see how things keep unfolding for you. I appreciate you, sister. Thanks. You too, Chris. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Be well. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Julie, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. This past couple of weeks, life's been throwing it at me. I say this not with a victim mentality or thinking that the world is out to get me, but from a place of observation. It's tough, but the timing of things has just collided into this perfect storm. It can feel like we're being drugged down and we can't get a foothold to get up. One thing that my recovery has done for me is position me to better recognize when I'm feeling this way. I can't do much about the world around me, but when I can observe the toll it's taking, it opens the door for a response from me. In another life, I was always reactionary. When work, family, or my social life was taxed, I was always ready with a knee-jerk reaction. Telling someone off, being upset and taking it out on the people that I loved, isolating and numbing out from feeling anything at all, 
Now I've got the opportunity to put a little time and space between whatever is happening and what I decide to do with it. When I notice those uncomfortable feelings, I have a chance to pause and think about why it's affecting me. That's what I've been doing this past couple weeks. Pausing, listening to my body, asking myself why. Why is this affecting me? Why do I want to respond in this particular way? What do I really want to do? How can I respond to this in a way that is in alignment with the life that I'm trying to build for myself? What is the next right thing? With that, I can focus on the action and trust that the results will be what they're supposed to be. If you're feeling it right now, RE, I want to encourage you to try and pause. Pay attention to those feelings as they arise and ask yourself questions. Be curious about why you're feeling the way that you are. Put a bit of space between the stimulus and response. Look at the life you're building and see how the next steps can contribute to that. Recovery Elevator, the only way out is through. I love you guys. Stopping it.